Real faith is not modeled in our controlling the circumstances, but in our trusting of God. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be worshiping with you, whether you're here in person or joining us online, man. We are excited to be able to make much of Jesus Christ. We're in a series here called He is Greater, right? Greater, Jesus, my faith. Everybody just say greater. Yeah, Jesus is greater, and we're walking through the book of Hebrews, learning all about his greatness. We're in the Hebrews chapter 11 uh, section right now as we're walking through the greatness of Jesus Christ and how he is so worth having faith in. And so we've been walking through what it looks like to have that. We would read a passage from Hebrews and then we'll bounce to the story. And that's what we're going to do today as well. Just go to the Old Testament story and see that faith uh, being lived out, right? So we've talked about a faith that worships, giving of our first fruits, a faith that obeys, like even when the world doesn't see it. We're continuing to journey properly, rightly with our God, celebrating him, praising him. Faith to obey and then ultimately faith to follow. We looked at last week what it means that in the middle of the circumstances that make no sense, what my God says, I will stand and walk with him, right? So that's where we've been. Now we're jumping into the story of Joseph today, faith to receive, Faith to receive. So do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15. Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15. And I'm just going to read the Hebrews 11 passage that's going to get us jumped over to that Genesis moment, all right? So Hebrews 11, verse 22, it says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. I gotta be honest, when I read that moment, I was like, seriously? That's kind of a ripoff. I mean, with all that Joseph went through, all the different ways that he expressed faith, this is the moment that was being talked about by the author of Hebrews, that he remembered the Israelites being promised and being sent towards the land of Israel, and ultimately that he also would uh, give directions on how to care for his bones. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that and see how faith is expressed out in massive ways because of that statement. So as we jump into Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15, one thing we got to keep in mind is the lay of the land, like who are we talking about, all right? So just to get a little bit of a context. First of all, we're talking about Joseph's family, Jacob being the dad. There's the 12 sons, right? So we end up with, quite frankly, let's be honest, it's a pretty dysfunctional family. Like there's a lot of rough things going on in this family. They did not get along that great in certain ways. There were decisions that were made that were very bizarre. Of the 12 brothers, Joseph was one of the younger ones and his dad ended up showing a lot of favoritism to him. And you can talk about why he might have chose to show favoritism. There's some thoughts from scripture there. But the reality is dad chose to just lavish on one and not the others. Everybody say terrible plan. I firmly agree with you. Terrible plan. So he starts pouring onto Joseph, who's one of the very youngers, right? And uh, as he's one of the youngest there, the olders are like, dad never talked to us that way. Dad never treated us that way. You know what it's like, right? Parents, you're, you're raising your firstborn and everything is held tight, right? We know, except by the time you get to the 11th, you're like, whatever. 
Just whatever you want to do. Just give him a, a robe with a lot of colors on it, right? That's what he did with Joseph. Just give him a robe. I don't know. Just move on, right? You end up with a lot of decisions being made that showed a ton of favoritism along the way. And it really got to the brothers. Uh, they tended to feel it. Not only did that happen, but then on top of it, as Joseph was growing up, uh, God ended up giving him a couple of dreams that Joseph maybe should have kept to himself a little bit, but God used the circumstances. And Joseph shared with his brothers. He's like, I had a dream. The dream was that 11 sheaves of hay bowed down to the 12th, to me. And they're like, gee, I wonder what that would mean. 12 brothers and 11 of them are bowing. You're saying we're going to bow to you. They got pretty ticked about it. Joseph ended up having another dream after it. And he ended up saying, I had a dream. 11 stars bowed down to the 12th star. And the sun and moon bowed down. On this one, dad even got involved. Jacob comes over and he's like, look, son. You can't be talking about the fact. Are you saying I'm going to bow to you? Like, you need to be a little quieter about that whole thing, right? Keep it quiet. So Joseph's now revealed out the dreams right after that. They have an assignment to go off and shepherd and uh, in the town of Shechem. Uh, don't forget that name, Shechem. It'll come up in a little bit. But in the town of Shechem is where they're at. And it's not, it's like far. It's not close to where dad was. Some 50 miles or so away from where home was considered. And that's where they were shepherding the sheep. And at some point, all of a sudden, the brothers have moved off. Joseph doesn't know where they're at. He's trying to figure it out. They're li literally doing the, let's just get away from the little, I'm done with that kid. And they're getting away from him a little bit. As he starts to come up, Literally, this is the quote they said. Oh, here's the dreamer. Here's the dreamer. They have now nicknamed him by his special dream of you're going to bow to me. Here's the dreamer, right? So in their dysfunctional way, they decided to come up with a solution. One of the brothers was like, let's kill him. Like for real. I think we should just take his life. And then they're like, well, what is dad going to say? And all that kind of, like, that is the conversation they started to have. So as they talked about it, one of the brothers steps up. He's a stand-up guy. He comes up with a great idea. He's like, no, no, no. Let's just sell him off. We'll sell him into slavery and we'll tell dad he got torn up by wild animals. And that's, that's, that's what happened. And so that's what they did. They ended up taking their brother, selling him into slavery, making a little money off of it, and telling dad he got killed by wild animals. That's the brothers, right? Now, as he sold off into slavery, by the way, the people he was sold to were called the Ishmaelites, who, just so you know, that's actually his cousins. Like, he was bought by his cousins, taken down to Israel, and, or into Egypt, and ended up being sold off there in Egypt as a slave. That's Joseph's life. That's the things that were going on. Well, as Joseph steps in, can you imagine? You've been told that people are going to bow to you in your dream, but it turns out quite the opposite. You're now sitting in prison in Egypt. All of a sudden, God starts blessing him in various ways. He has insights to things. He's able to give answers to dreams. This is what they mean. He starts to get elevated up. Long story short, he ends up in charge over the nation, number two in charge. Pharaoh's over him, he's number two. Yes, still kind of in that servant role, but he's number two in charge. Why did God do it? Well, because all of a sudden, a famine hit the area. And I mean brutal and widespread. 
and countries from all over were coming to Egypt to be salvaged and saved, and it was Joseph's wisdom that was doing it. Joseph ended up being able to take some of their money and collect some of their animals, whatever. He was doing various things to be able to get food to these people to keep them alive. And then all of a sudden, a family walks in. It's Joseph's family, his dad and his brothers, and they show up. Now, they had no idea to expect Joseph there, and it shocked them, and we're not gonna go into the details of how, but it ends up that they interact with each other, they connect with each other, they get to have the joyful moment of finding out that Joseph made it, he's alive, there's some connection. Dad is just celebrating that he wasn't torn up by animals, this is so great, and a little bit of that goes on. Now, the reality is his dad's pretty old in age, Jacob. And as they're in Egypt and some of that celebrating comes to a close, Jacob ends up passing away. Jacob dies. And all of a sudden, the shiver down the spine of the brothers. Uh-oh. Like, what if the only reason he was good to us was for dad? And now that dad's gone, man, we could be in trouble. And that's where we're picking it up today. Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15, all right? Point number one here, faith receives forgiveness from God and joyfully shares forgiveness with others. Faith receives forgiveness from God and joyfully shares forgiveness with others. We'll start in verse 15, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Literally, they were like, dude, we were scoffing that kid. We were making fun of him. We called him the dreamer. We mistreated him. We ran away without him and left him on his own. And then ultimately, we sold him into slavery. What's he gonna do to us? There's a panic that was riveting them. It says, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Do you hear what the brothers did? They're like, okay, here's our hope. Well, dad said that you shouldn't do anything to hurt us. That's their answer. Joseph, just so you know, dad said that, 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 that the plan would be that, and they ended up explaining it out. And part of what they explained was we did evil, but they didn't say we are sorry, we are wrong. We did wrong, we were evil. What they said instead was, um, dad said it was evil, right? And, and ultimately, even more than that, more than just calling out dad in it, it says, please forgive the transgressions of your servants of the God of your father. Like, come on, Joseph, you have a God who's over you, and that's the God of your father. Are you gonna show respect to them? God needs to be shown respect here, Joseph. What are you gonna do? A little bit of manipulation on the brothers' parts as they're trying to call together for some forgiveness. It says, and Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He was saddened and horrified that they thought they had to manipulate to protect their lives. Joseph's like, don't you know you're my fam? I care for you. I want this to go well. And and said, and his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. And when you see the word behold, you say, check it out. 
Behold, we are your servants as they are on their knees bowing down before him. Everybody just say dream fulfilled. Like don't miss that. God showed Joseph a dream years earlier. Why did he do that? To be able to let Joseph know, I'm gonna be doing something through you that you will not believe and they will bow to you, but you're gonna need to hold on to that because it's gonna be pretty ugly in between. There's gonna be some tough things that go on and now his brothers are bowing down before him and they're pleading for forgiveness along the way. And Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He's like, guys, I've been forgiven of much myself. God's the one who's the judge. It's not me. I'm fine with it. I'm not going to be judging you or harboring this against you. In other words, he's saying, you are forgiven. And then he says, as for you, you meant evil against me. You just got to hold on here. Imagine what the brothers felt like. They have risked this kid's life. They've sold him off into slavery. They are now bowing down before, which is the thing they made fun of him for. How dare you say you had that dream? Now they're bowing down. And as he's pointing at them, he says, you did evil against me. Second in command in all of Egypt could wipe them out. Can you imagine what they're thinking in that moment. And he says, but God. And those are two huge words. You did evil against me, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Like everybody just say, God had a plan. And God had a plan, he was doing something massive in Joseph's life and quite frankly, in the nations around and even in the small little nation getting started called Israel as he was protecting so much. Joseph says, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Like I've been able to save nations of people around and I've been able to give them life that has helped them not just for a moment but for a long standing time. They're still alive today. God has been blessing and don't worry about it. God was doing something. God has a plan. Man, in the middle of our circumstances, how often do we hate the circumstances and we're not seeing God's hand in it, right? He's like, be careful. God's doing some huge work here. I just wrote these words down. We can wreck our lives when we refuse to see God's hand in our circumstances. We can wreck our lives when we refuse to see God's hand in our circumstances. When we start focusing on the people, when jo Joseph could have focused on his brothers and just been, what was wrong with them? Can you believe? And that was so hateful and all of it. But instead he saw the hand of God as a part of his circumstances. So we end up needing to be able to see the forgiveness that can come. Joseph poured that out. Why? Because he did see God's hand. I'll say it this way. Man, with Christ, we are forgiven of so much it is a miracle forgiveness that we have. Christ died for us and rose again. Our sins beyond measure released and taken away and forever we can be with him. That is massive forgiveness in our lives. May we live that and celebrate that and never lose that. Forgiveness, it can be tough words. 
And in fact, there's some wording and explanation to forgiveness that's uh, often wrong. A lot of people will talk about forgiveness like it's two things. Like you're either completely ticked off or you're good. You're forgiven. Like that's kind of it. And I'll just say it's really not those two things. I've completely lost my mind or fine, I forgive you. And it's probably better to see it as three categories. We've talked about this around here a number of times, but in biblical counseling, it's best to see forgiveness in three parts. First is the bitterness. Like what happened to me hurt me. I can't believe you did it. I'm going to rise up against that stung and I'm going to try to sting back. Bitter, right? It's a bad place to camp out. You don't ever want to set your tent up in the land of bitterness. And all of God's people said, Right, bitter, it's the first area. But the second area is, maybe you just want to write these words down, willing or forgiving. Make sure you put the I-N-G word on it. Willing, forgiving. That's the second area. It's willing to be able to forgive. It's having an understanding of what happens with that. We move from bitter to being able to see who our God is. We go vertical in our worship. We celebrate Christ and all that he is and all that he does for us. We thank him for the forgiveness of our sins and our stupid decisions and all the rest. And Lord, you are awesome. And that vertical worship fills our soul up with the forgiveness and a love that now can spill over into this willing or forgiving heart, but we're not done. But that's a great second spot and it's something that can just so restore your soul. You can live the entirety of your life on earth with a willing, forgiving heart and be so worshipful in that. Man, you live in a bitter heart, it is gonna destroy you, right? We talk about bitterness, it's the poison you drink to try to hurt somebody else, right? It just doesn't work. Like the reality though is living in this willing, forgiving does some great things. And then the third step is forgiven, right? This is forgiving in the ongoing, forgiven. Make sure you got the E-N at the end of it, right? It's done, it's over, it's debt covered, forgiven. And that's a very horizontal moment. That's when we approach somebody else and we say, please forgive me, or when they approach and say, please forgive me, forgiven. That's a moment that can be so restoring and healing and celebrating. But here's the deal, man. Being able to live in a willing and a forgiving life is so rewarding just in itself. And I, this is a huge deal, man. If we teach forgiveness as just two-step, we miss out on something. The reality is many of you may have been hurt by a, a family member, a father, something, a, a parent that's maybe gone from this world now. They've even passed on, but they haven't come and said, please forgive me. The reality is you can live in this willing, forgiving, you wish the best for, you know you've been forgiven and you worship your God and so your heart is welled up with a willingness to forgive. That can be so satisfying even if there hasn't been the closure. And that is a huge deal and it is a massive celebration. I mean, there's great things that can happen when there can be a closure, when somebody comes and says, please forgive me. And uh, they're specific in it. That can be a huge deal. And those are great moments. Maybe you're in that even today. Maybe there's a family member you've been hurt by or there's been a friend who you feel cut by or maybe there's a, uh, something that happened in your environment around your neighborhood or in your workplace or something. And there's this 
upset and this, this hurt that's happened in the circumstances, man, are you ready to take the journey of forgiveness? To get out of the camp of bitter and move into the camp of willing, forgiving. And if it's you that's wronged, maybe even going and saying, please forgive me. I was wrong in what I did or said there just to be able to start a restoration. And this is a massive call out. Are you ready to take a deep breath and step into the waters of forgiveness? May God get the glory. Who might God be pressing you to be talking with, to be getting things right with? Okay. Point number two, faith receives hope from God through his promises. Faith receives hope from God through his promises. It says, so Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Now remember, if you're starting to read through the book of Genesis and you know the story and you know what happens to Israel, you know they end up captives in Egypt. They're like slaves there for hundreds of years, right? So what we hear here is Joseph is hanging with his dad. It says, so Joseph remained in Egypt. Like honestly, the first response on it is, oh no. Right, that's the appropriate response. No, not that, right? If you don't catch that, you're missing. These are the people that ended up enslaving them for a long, long time. It's a huge deal. So he says, so Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. And yes, they were made slaves, but God had a plan. Everybody say, God had a plan. And it's a huge deal that we grasp this. He ended up taking this nation as Jacob and his brother and his sons came down into Egypt. It says they came in with 70 people. And by the time they left, hundreds of years later, with Moses taking them out, they were probably around a million plus people. God had a plan, man. He was growing this nation. He was caring for them in a time where famine would have destroyed them, in a time where other nations could have obliterated them. They were just a small number. God ended up bringing them in, protecting them, growing them, and getting them prepared. God had a plan. And in the midst of it, he ends up being able to bring them to this moment where Joseph has lived his time out in Egypt. And... uh it says next, Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph lived 110 years. And uh, that is a long time, even for these guys, but it wasn't as long as many were living. His dad lived for 147 years. Like it was long, but it was still a little young. In fact, he's having a talk with his older brothers at the end of his life here as he's about to die. So he did die a little bit younger than the others, but it was still a blessed life, 110 years. And it says, and Joseph saw Ephraim, that's one of his sons, right? He saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. He saw his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids. He started to see a ton of blessing in the family. It says, and the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's. He was able to have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. He got to see family rally together. While there was some struggle going on, there was actually this huge growth in the family and massive blessing and massive laughter. Man, I'm just telling you, there is a fantastic blessing in being a grandparent. 
And being able to see the little ones kind of growing up, seeing them learning words, seeing their personalities come out. It is a blast to be a grandparent. It is a blast to be celebrating grandparenthood. And I know John and I have a sweet privilege in that. Grandparenting, man, it is a huge proof of God's blessing. And all of God's grandparents said, amen, man, it's a huge deal. It's an awesome, sweet privilege. And in fact, so here's a few pictures of my grandkids. And... uh, So Oliver Reed was actually born just a couple of weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Mac and Megan had Oliver and uh, Everett is his older brother. And uh, so that's the two of them together. And uh, Megan got some photos there, really sweet to be able to celebrate that. And uh, just, this is our two grandsons and uh, they're already starting in life. Huge celebration, we love that. By the way, just a little shout out. Uh, Pastor Larry and Heather are also here today and a little shout out to them. This is also, Uh, their grandparents uh, of these children, all right? This is their son and our daughter that got married. So they happen to be in this week to see Oliver and be with family. So just a little shout out. Love you guys. Great to have you here as well. Yeah. Huge deal, man. Grandparenting, family, and connection. It's a big deal. It says, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God... Do you notice how often Joseph loves those two words? But God. Man, we need to start living life more that way. But God. We talk about the circumstances, then God comes into play. But God. Joseph's like, I'm about to die. Yeah, I would say it this way. Real faith, real faith is not modeled in our controlling the circumstances, but in our trusting of God. Real faith, it's modeled in our trusting, not in our controlling It's a huge deal. It says, but God will visit you, this is Joseph talking to his brothers, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph's like, listen, brothers, God is gonna make good on his promise. Now, when he says the names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hear it and we're like, right, those patriarchs, the old guys who ended up being promised something about Israel, but he's talking about his relatives. He's like, this is to great-granddad, to granddad, and to dad. That's what he's saying. He's like, God has promised to great-granddad, to dad, and to, to our grandpa, and all three of them know that they were headed into the promised land. I'm counting on it happening. And Joseph's like, hang on, the land is going to be given that these guys were promised. And then he says, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones from here. He's like, so take my bones with you as you move back there. And then it says, so Joseph died being 110. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And Genesis ends. Didn't happen. They didn't take him up. What's going on? In fact, what actually happened is when Joseph died, you ended up seeing hundreds of years of slavery for Israel and ended up being released out with Moses and being able to be taken into the wilderness. They ended up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and then finally they would come into the promised land. And it's then that we see the promise picked up. 
This is in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32. You don't have to turn there, but listen to this. Joshua 24, verse 32. It's six books later. We're in Genesis, then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and finally, Joshua. And so Joshua, it says, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. Remember I told you you'd hear that name again? So it all started in Shechem. And all of a sudden he can't find the brothers and they end up moving to another town and they end up selling them off into slavery and, and hundreds and hundreds of years later with the family no longer just 70 strong but now million plus strong and God over them and working in their lives. God walking them back into the land he promised as a formidable nation and he took the bones of Joseph, Joseph right back to that spot, Shechem and that's where he was buried. Everybody say God has a plan. And what circumstances are you in? How scared are you as you look at those circumstances? What things have gone upside down? What people have hurt you? What is not going the way you would want it? Know this, God has a plan. He loves you with all he's got and he's doing something along the way. And we can, as we trust in our God, end up being able to quote what you meant for evil, God meant for good. May God get all the glory. And whatever your circumstances, may we hand it to our King. He's got it under control. And all of God's people said, may we receive the promises and the hope of God Almighty and may we trust in him. That's faith. Let's pray. 